The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop? and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal. Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you for tuning in. I'm delighted to be here with you for another show, because my guest today will continue the trend that I started when I decided to put together this show. Um, In fact, um, him and I, and his name is Andrew Webster, met sometimes in, in 2008. And I I remember when I met him that uh, I was immediately impressed by the work that him and his organization was doing at the time. So welcome to the show, Andrew. It's a privilege to have you here. Laura, it's a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to reconnect and, and learn more with you. Yes, and likewise. Um, I, I was saying that uh, having you on the show, it continues a trend because it's um, it's my mission or I've made it my mission to bring as much um, relevant information, knowledge, insight, experience and expertise together so listeners can really um, learn more uh, faster and, and hopefully apply it to elevate the quality of their uh, business decisions. So, um, for example, and I know you would have had the time to listen to last week's interview, but uh, my guest, and just a coincidence, uh, he was talking about uh, uh, change management. And although, like your approach, um, his approach is rooted in, in science, he was coming from somewhat a, a different perspective, um, if you wish. So I strongly recommend to you and anyone out there to go back to that episode and hear um, Paul Gibbons' unique uh, and well-researched uh, perspective on how we might lead change in organization, leveraging uh, 21st century findings from neuroscience, psychology, and many other sciences, um, in fact. So um, I know that your organization leverages uh, a lot of the behavioral evidence of how people learn, then apply their learning in two very important aspects of business management today, change and innovation, which, of course, feeds into the purpose of the show to bring forth uh, information so business leaders can make uh, better quality uh, business decisions. So before we hear more from you, and I can't wait to hear what's been happening, you and I have not been in touch for a while, I just want to read a few highlights from your uh, bio. So you are currently the Director of Change and Innovation Solutions at Experience Point, the global leader in leadership development and training simulations. You're a master facilitator of the organization's award-winning experience change and experience innovation simulations. And you certify a lot of the partners, if not all, around the globe. In addition to working directly with executives from firms such as Airbus, Al Jazeera, Bank Mascot, B Sky B, Coca Cola, oh my God, what an amazing list! Deloitte, GSK, MetLife, Microsoft, um, the who is who of organizations there. You're a driving force in evolving the Experience Point product line and the next generation of products and, and services. And I can't hear 
to I can't wait to hear more about uh, what's next for uh, experience point you present regularly on the topics of innovation and change um, you have taught in 15 of the top 30 MBAs and executive education programs in the world, um, Financial Times 2015 rankings, and you are a judge and panelist with the Edison Awards. You have also been interviewed and published for numerous blogs and publications, and you have contributed a chapter to the Center for Creator Leadership's Experience Driven Leader Development Text. As a key contributor to your organization, you develop innovation and change management workshops that are transforming the way people learn. And I know that personally because I have participated in both your change management um, innovation and innovative initiative, as well as in the early stages of developing experience innovation simulation. Um, And I like your company's vision as is posted on your website you imagine a world where complex challenges are met with we got this this is fabulous so again i'm humbled and privileged to have you on the show and i remember again when we met that uh, you and james chisel um were part of a smaller team and now when I look at uh, the website and I see how many partners you have it's an absolutely impressive journey that you guys have been through so how did you get here tell us more yeah we've had a a great string of years uh, including and since uh, when we met Laura with thanks to some general trends in capability building, training industry, and and more importantly, on the strength of a great team we have here and, and great partners. So it's uh, it's been an exciting journey, exciting to learn about your journey and how you're helping organizations in that time as well. But if we look at how we got here, that's kind of a, a big question. And if we're reflecting on decisions, some of the decisions that helped us get here, as you can imagine, were, were not good decisions, but we managed in, in hindsight or retroactively to extract some of the right lessons with, with some feedback from some intelligent people, uh, not just within experience point, but uh, outside of the organization as well. So good and bad decisions, and hopefully we've been learning enough on the way to, to turn them all into good decisions. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure you have because it, oh, sorry, it's evidenced. Yeah. Say that again, Andrew? I, I was just going to say if, if we're looking for one or, or two big decisions, there there are a, a couple in there that, that stand out. Absolutely. I was going to ask next, so you read my mind. Go ahead. <laughs> so one of the big decisions um, that we deliberately made was the decision to become more partner-focused as a business. So less focused on creating simulations as a service, like you give us money, we custom design a project or a product for you, Um, and more focused on helping our our partners do what they do very well. And and that makes us a little bit more of a a product business. Um, But more importantly, what it helps us do is kind of scale the impact that we have disproportionately. So touch a much bigger part of the world, have a greater impact in that world um, by just serving the hell out of a a few key partners. Another big one was, uh, you know, there are those decisions to hire the right people that really Mm -hmm. helped us to get us to where we are. But a big and and kind of strategic uh, decision was just to align as a team very heavily on the impact that we have through results our customers create. So focus on creating impact through results and and then the, the quality of the experience we provide. So really focusing around purpose, which a lot of organizations have um, made that conscious decision to do, uh, we have also, and it has served us well. 
Yeah, and thank you for sharing uh, those decisions because, as I said, I was planning to ask about some of the ones that stood out and um, you you share them with us. If I can take you back to uh, to the first one, particularly because I think from my perspective, your own experience and how you came to make those decisions is relevant for um, both younger companies, companies like myself, and large organizations. And from my perspective is that uh, you start a business with strong beliefs and what you want to do. And then um, often if you don't know when to pivot and take a different direction, it can be more harmful than beneficial to your business. So when you said that you started to focus on partnerships, what were you noticing and how did you arrive to that decision in the first place? Yeah, it was a series of probably um, decisions we could have made differently or better that helped us arrive at that big one. And that was, we're essentially an organization that at the time we made simulations for business learning, so helping people practice in a a safe place. And years ago, like over a, a decade ago, we would have said that anyone with a PowerPoint deck, so an alternative to a simulation. Anyone with a PowerPoint deck is, is our competitor. And we had this kind of competitive mindset and, and maybe not uh, the uh, abundance mindset that we have today, or the growth mindset, I guess, is the popular terminology now. And so uh, we behaved in a way that a competitive organization might and um, would then try and kind of hunt down our, our next meal every single day. And, and what we noticed uh, once humility set in just a bit was that there are organizations we might have considered competitors doing great work, the, the sort of work that we didn't have the ability to do. What we're really good at was creating experiences and help, helping people you know, take the right lessons from those experiences and, and uh, turn them into value. But the packaging around those, some of the content areas we couldn't help with, some of the uh, consulting around those solutions that we didn't provide, there were lots of organizations doing great great work around those things. And, and we wanted to maintain our focus on what we did well. And so we started to uh, explore, experiment, and eventually embrace that possibility now or reality of partnering with organizations that do things differently than us and do them better than we can, partner with those organizations and, and contribute in the way that we're best served to contribute, providing the right products and experiences and supporting them in the work that they do. So just that constant drinking in of, of feedback. And you, you talked about that kind of big strategic pivot, Lara, but there are now those micro pivots um, as you're engaged with partners and uh, constantly engaged with stakeholders and um, not purely reacting to feedback, but taking it all in and seeing where there are patterns, opportunities to do things differently. I I think we're a little more um, agile in that way now as well, in that we're informed by the external world instead of merely our internally focused thinking. Yeah, and and obviously it paid off because, um, as I said, just in the period that you and I haven't talked, I see that the organization has grown significantly. And to your point, um, there's uh, considering what your desire was to uh, create experiences for people, uh, what is the point if uh, you are doing it on such a small scale and uh, many people don't come to know about what you are doing. And I always appreciated in your organization uh, the openness to feedback because I remember um, every time that I participated in one capacity or another in your um, um, in your simulations, you always made time to ask for feedback. Me and other people you will meet afterwards, take notes and um, even the fact even uh, the fact that you have to learn as a, as a business person when to hear feedback and when to act uh, on feedback. It's something that I experienced personally. 
sometimes it's difficult. You can, you can, uh, the pendulum can, can go too far um, the other way. You also talked about hiring the right people, and we have about three and a half minutes to the break, but just before we get to that point, um, what were some of your biggest lessons that you feel that, you know, had you known that sooner may have uh, taken you in a different direction as an organization, as an individual? Yeah, maybe it was a healthy bit of experimentation to confirm what we think we know now or validate, but we have a, a basic set of or criteria of what we're looking for in individuals, and, and we want people that are hungry, humble, and, and smart. And when we've seen opportunities where people come in with a wealth of experience, um, the sort of experience that we're looking for, maybe a developer or a salesperson, and they may not you know, map um, perfectly to something like humble, they, they might not have that humility that typically we're looking for, but we see an opportunity to bring in um, irrefutable talent. We might have flexed a bit just to explore that talent in the past, and I think we've grown up and, and realized that those values exist for us for a reason, and um, we're best at helping people succeed when they map well to that criteria, and um, yeah, those, those people tend to be best at helping our business succeed as well. Yeah, that's excellent. And we'll go to a, a short break. But when we come back, I do want us to go deeper into um, sharing what the organization does and how do you do it. As I said, I've had my uh, personal experience of it and was impressed from day one of meeting you and your then partner. And uh, what else have you done since? Because I know that uh, uh, you've uh, grown the um experience innovation, um, um, the innovation experience simulation, and um, that will be a fascinating discussion to have. But for now, we'll be going to a quick break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here with Andrew Webster, whom I met uh, a while back, almost seven years ago, um, who is a very key player in an organization that I immediately admired when I came across, uh, whose name is Experience Point. And Andrew's going to tell us more about the organization, what they do, and how they've grown as a business to actually have a presence in you know, the who's who of the business names out there. But one thing that I wanted to share with the audience, Andrew, is that you and I were talking at the break about how the segment is going. And um, um, once again, I am, I'm faced with the humbleness and, the, um, you know, 
all this talent that exists in people out there, um, it's amazing to see how humble people are and, and how uh, much probably uh, they themselves don't know uh, how good they are and what they do. And, and this is uh, something that I was impressed with the first day I met you. And obviously, after the organization has grown so big and you travel all over the world and work with huge company names and and big executive leaders, you remain as humble today as you were when the organization was a lot smaller. And it's interesting because you were mentioning just before the break that being humble is one of the things that you look for in people. So, um, but I'm so happy to have you here and that you were able to find some time to talk to us. So tell us more about Experience Point. All right, Experience Point. We're headquartered here in Toronto. We, our tools are used in, in over 80 countries around the world um, by tens of thousands of um, people every year. And we essentially exist to make experience a better teacher. So we all know that we learn our best through experiences we have in the world and day-to-day life. And experience is great. It is maybe the best teacher that there is, but it is also a highly flawed instructor in that we often uh, extract the wrong lessons from experiences we have. Uh, Experience, as we know, takes way too damn long, and it is fraught with risk. So we like to provide focused experiences uh, and a safe place for people to practice, give business people and other professionals the same luxury that athletes and actors and astronauts have come to expect, and and it is that luxury of practice before performance. Yeah, and that um, that is um, a very interesting uh, topic for me because in um, you you have specialized in uh, in two very important um, segments of businesses today: change and innovation. You'll tell us more about that. For me. Um, my my passion is in business management and and to your point I mean experience I, I love the way you said it I'm going to quote it from now on but use your name in uh, association with it experience can be a, a flawed teacher because we don't always have the opportunity to receive the immediate feedback in what we've learned or whether we've learned it the, the, long, or the right or wrong way um, and we often experience the things that don't make uh, that much of a difference. How did you come to to that realization in the first place? Uh, The realization around experience being an opportunity for improvement, is is that... And, and, and that's a good question from you because I, I, uh, I wasn't quite clear. But how did you come uh, to put together the elements in the way that it is today? So starting from the premise that experience a good teacher, how did you come to um, uh, create it in the simulation that it is today? Where did you start and how did it evolve to be what it is today? I'm very interested uh, in the journey. Thank you. Yes. So the, the evolution has been pretty radical in that um, what we know about change and innovation continues to evolve as well. And so early days it was taking um, case studies and the best case studies that there were out there and kind of distilling those down, amalgamating those into experiences people could have rather than just discuss where um, individuals, teams now make decisions get some feedback from stakeholders within a simulation or um, within the room that they're in on the innovation side and just condensing down what is weeks or years into uh, a few hours to give people that, as mentioned, that focused experience. So there's a lot of condensation focused on the, the biggest mistakes that people make, which is one of the things that kind of flies in the face of training orthodoxy that we do. Instead of offering people, here's the, the best way to do something and then expect that they do that by sharing models or, or, or something like that, we offer people the opportunity to do. And so they would follow their natural tendencies or default behaviors and they would make some mistakes and then only then do we offer the scaffolding or the opportunity to 
um, look at a, a model or, or some better, more informed approach to make us aware of these mistakes that we make and how we can um, take an alternative path to our less helpful tendencies. Yeah, and and don't mean to be um, a hypocrite here on uh, by saying that books are great, but they don't do enough. Because I'm just in the process of writing my first book, so uh, I I couldn't agree with you more, Andrew. Because as a behavioral scientist, I am shocked time and time again, uh, amazed by how different we are in distilling information, interpreting, and applying it. So. No matter how good a book um, it is, time after time, I look at how differently people interpret it. And, and sometimes uh, they come up with new and innovative and completely different insights than how even the book or the text material was intended. And, and sometimes they could completely miss the point. So to, to actually have the opportunity to let them um, experience their learning to make their own mistakes. I I think it's uh, it's amazing. Do you uh, connect or stay connected? You you mentioned that there's been iterations. How much does science and and the advances of technology and science feed into um, how you change the simulations, if at all? Yeah, great question, and and that's one area in which we're extremely fortunate. So we work with many of the the best research-based entities in the world, and, and so the majority of the top-ranked business schools in the world have professors that are actively using our stuff in the courses that they um, deliver with executives. And so having their lens applied to our work constantly, that is a part of that uh, fountain of feedback we're constantly drinking from. And so as there's advances um, in change, innovation, behavioral-related sciences, uh, we, we get that feedback and see opportunities to improve what we have, update the theories and, and models, and moreover, um, just create an opportunity for faculty and others to offshoot from the platform that we have and uh, drill down more in whatever dimension of um, research or science it is that yeah, and, like and I was I was talking to the um, to the uh, guest from last week, Andrew, because my belief and and I love reading uh, specialty uh, or specialized literature in psychology. I love reading specialized literature in neuroscience, um, and I often find that, especially when it comes to the management science, in spite of everything that we have learned about all those different sciences that could very much make us so much better at, at managing businesses. Not a lot of it uh, translates into um, into the business. I mean, I think in, in, you are in an amazing uh, position to be connected to the academic and the scientific community and then have the ability to translate it into actionable, uh, experiential um, learning for your clients. Do you, how do you find that outside of the work that you do? I'm just more interested in your perspective, knowing how good a job you guys do in that domain. So how other organizations are or are not translating the apparent science into their business, yeah. that's interesting. So uh, one book I've been inspired by a lot is um, Work Rules by Laszlo Bloch, um, mm-hmm. one of the, the big HR leaders at Google. And, and they do a lot of that, take the best-in-class research and, and bring that science into the work that they do in the HR community there. And we know lots of folks that have access to similar thinking and material and, and don't necessarily do the same. And for some, it's not that they refute the science, it's more of the inertia within the organization or the people that are excited by or closer to the advances um, don't have the influence to change the habits of those leaders and, and others that are perpetuating um, integrated practices. Yeah, that, and, that's one and, of the reasons why change and influence are, are so important. 
Yes, absolutely. And in, um, it's interesting because my um, other guest from last week mentioned uh, Google and uh, I'm definitely going to read. Uh, I have not read the book that you referenced, but I'm definitely going to read it because um, there is um, no coincidence that Google has grown uh, to be such a large organization or corporation, yet year after year is one of the leading or the most innovative companies which is typically a challenge for large corporations um, overall. So tell us, I'd like, if you don't mind, to talk a bit more about how the change uh, management um, um, module operates. I keep calling it module simulation. And module is fine. Simulation is fine. <laughs> it's, it's an experience where teams would, and, and working in teams is important, but uh, teams would come together uh, and then it is, um, a web-based experience. So in this workshop, teams would divide out, and in your team we would access this simulation, and we would look at a fictionalized organization that is uh, undergoing a, a massive change, facing some classic change challenges. So we would interview stakeholders within this fictionalized organization, and that means watching video of, of people um, talking about their experience with the current situation, their thoughts about what the future could be. And then a as a team, based on this feedback we've received or these interviews we've done with stakeholders, we would establish a change plan. And we would implement that change plan, so implement tactics, things that we could do to hopefully mobilize uh, this change or make the organization survive the short-term peril they're facing and uh, um, set them up for long-term success. Teams make decisions, and then they get feedback from those same stakeholders that they had interviewed earlier. And so these stakeholders are or they'd interview would sometimes react with anger, sometimes with fear, sometimes with confusion, but sometimes also with um, delight or enthusiasm or hope. And as you can imagine, teams typically their, their first time through if we do not set them up for success, we set them up for learning. So the first time through tend not to succeed, but succeed in that they um, have a lot to learn and, and can learn a lot. Then we give them an approach. So here is a, a structured approach to change. Let them go back in, apply some of what they've learned from their mistakes and some of what they've learned from what we've shared. And it is typical for them to succeed and, and verify some of um, their new hypotheses. And, um, of course, time flies, so we don't have that much left to the break, probably another two minutes. But what I'd like to ask you is if you've noticed um, themes in terms of the challenges that people typically have, like are they a number of multiple and varied themes, or do people typically struggle uh, during their um, uh, learning process um, with the same things? Yes, with something like change, there, there are lots of variables, but the big themes where people and therefore organizations tend to struggle is it's that knowing-doing gap, as Bob Sutton would call it. We know what would make change succeed, and we just don't do it. So... We know that engaging people, understanding the background, doing that discovery work is important, but most people and organizations tend to jump right in. We do insufficient uh, research to understand the scenario and, and the stakeholders, how they're interacting with it. And then we, for the most part, jump to action way too soon. So before we've engaged people, help them understand the, the why we're going to change um, or and engage them in any way, we tend to thrust change upon people, which cognitively we all understand why that's not a good thing to do, but in practice we, for the most part, all do it anyway. Yeah, and um, I, if you haven't watched it, I'm definitely going to, uh, I know I posted it on LinkedIn and I'll send it to you. It's on YouTube now, but there's been an amazing six one-hour series um, by David Eagleman. He's a neuroscientist, uh, The Brain, um, showed on PBS. And uh, one of the things that he said is that, uh, you know, there's this continuous fight between our uh, sensory perception of the present and then the the concepts that are con 
completely abstract of what the future represents. So uh, I think the knowledge becomes the abstract and the present becomes the sens- uh, sensory perception of what's happening and need to do. But we'll come back to that after a short break. And I can't wait to hear more about the um, innovation simulation as well, which I assume may have changed since last time I saw it. So don't go away and we'll be back in two minutes. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advance be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here with Andrew Webster, who is an amazing innovator, an amazing content creator, facilitator, and uh, someone I met a while back and was impressed by, um, who is part of a very um, innovative organization who's providing opportunities for people in this to learn while they experience what they've learned and learn from their own mistakes. And Andrew, we were talking before um, the break about your, um, um, and I'll call it module again. I don't know why I, simulation doesn't stick in my head today, but uh, the simulation um, on change management that you take people through. Tell us um, t- Talk us through what is the innovation simulation. Yeah, the experience innovation, it is a 16-week innovation project uh, condensed down to four hours, and it is to orient people to the design thinking process. So that is the uh, approach to innovation we espouse in this particular experience. And the simulation exists to orient people to this process so then they can um, take what they've learned and from those mistakes that they've made in the process uh, they've uh, been made aware of and uh, apply it to their own real projects. So it looks at inspire, ideate, and implement, with the inspire phase being the search for the right problem to solve, the, impl- the ideate phase being come up with new solutions for that given problem or opportunity, and the implement phase is taking solutions from post-it note to reality in a very iterative kind of way. So lots of prototyping, lots of experimentation. And, and within this simulation, it feels much like a workshop. So we're given a, um, a, a project to work upon, and we would, you know, observe users, form insights, brainstorm as we would in the real world, and even do some storyboarding, experimentation, things of that nature. And I know that uh, we talked during the break that uh, people experience certain challenges, and I'd love to hear more about what those are, because I remember um, during um, uh, the early days when I participated in one of the simulations you were doing earlier on to finalize the simulation, um, I was sitting back and, and a lot of thoughts uh, were crossing my mind about um, less about the simulation, but more about how people were 
were reacting to what was being uh, uh, what was happening in the simulation because obviously it's my my science and my passion uh, the behavior of people in business so what have you found to be some common challenges as you take people through the innovation simulation well, interestingly, I'm, I'm glad you had that experience. It's one of the things we're always trying to get better at is helping people understand not only how they're behaving and processing, but how others around them interact with um, the subject matter or the challenges they're faced with, because innovation especially, it is a, a necessarily collaborative process. Some people call design thinking radical collaboration. So understanding where you are corrupting the process for others by you know, judging their ideas too early or too harshly, things like that. That that would be um, one big opportunity we want to illuminate for people is how we affect the best work of others. And indeed, in innovation, a lot of us think that coming up with the best new idea is the most important way we can contribute, but it tends to be more important that we support the right environment and support the right ideas from other people. So even more important than coming up with new stuff is our ability to let go of the stuff we've created in order to focus on other people's work. And, and that is one of those um, uh, troubling biases we all have is we like our own ideas and tend to favor our own ideas when we might not be the producers of the best ideas in every given circumstance. So, so that is one. Uh, another big opportunity comes from, in design thinking, we want to create solutions for people. It is human-centered design, and it begins with empathizing with other people. So observing um, their situation, observing their behavior, ethnographic studying type of stuff. And we tend to pervert a lot of that work that we do observing others by um, looking for things that are important to us and not important to our users or clouding our observations with interpretations and, and maybe worse still, judgments. So judging people with, um, in the way that they're interacting with a situation, we might think that a, a very common one is to say that someone can't use a feature that's been designed because they don't understand the feature. They're, they're a stupid user, and that's kind of the mm -hmm. cardinal sin in design thinking whereas uh, a great designer would recognize that someone's challenged by a design and understand that the design is not intuitive enough for that user. Yeah. You know what, um, uh, what strikes um, a chord in, in my mind, and again, uh, I love what I do. Uh, I love having the show and having people like yourself on the show because it um, allows me to present a different perspective to the very same reality that you described. Um, it reminded me that uh, there were a number of uh, psychology experiments done uh, where experimenters looked at um, how um, how people react when they are prime, when their brains are primed subconsciously by different concepts. So um, teams who were prime, let's say, with information, with language they referred to old age, ended up walking considerably slower than those who were prime with just random words. And, and a replication of that experiment was that uh, um, it was found that people primed with a um, concept of money, even in the most subconscious form of having dollar signs show up on the screen or seeing a Monopoly game, those people typically tend to be more self-centered, more individualistic, less likely to um, less likely to work well in a team, less likely to follow direction. So it's interesting. It was interesting to me when you said because I remember the the uh, pictures uh, that you were showing. Uh, if they are the same, but the concept was the same uh, at the beginning of the simulation. It was interesting to me that you said uh, bringing up the concept of empathy. Um, in the, you know, in connection to the work that you do, because certainly looking at pictures where um, even if not uh, seeing hardship, but you kind of start to create that empathy for others, primes people's brains in a different way and people are a lot more um, collaborative. What 
groups of people do you work with? I mean, I, I know that uh, you work with executives. I know that you probably work with different uh, segments of the organization. But how do you bring them together? How do the group, is it a homogenous group or from all levels in the organizations? Yeah, that, and that's a big, it depends where the organization happens to be investing. Um, but if with something like uh, change and innovation, there are basically two, if we're to oversimplify, two subgroups or, or roles that they play, archetypes that is people responsible for progress and people responsible for process. And then there are some that cross over both. So the, the, the decisions that they make would be around progress. So supporting a team and the progress that they're making on a, a change or innovation or other project. And then the, the team that is responsible for working the, the process. And, and then you have managers who are responsible for progress and process. So, so those are the, the types of groups, leaders, managers, and contributors. With Leaders typically more focused on the progress a team is making, but their sleeves aren't necessarily rolled up and they're doing project work. Um, and then contributors responsible for working that process and managers that are the, the kind of the mid-tier that are responsible for, for both the, the progress and the process and, and have a leadership stake in both. And, yeah. and so if those are the kind of parts of the organization, if you can get those people together um, to collaborate from the very beginning and, and um, make it heterogeneous in, in that way, that is a very nice to have because it is, yeah. we just use the word empathy. It's an opportunity for leaders to see where contributors are challenged and for contributors to see where leaders are challenged um, and, and start to generate some empathy and understanding for the perspectives of others. Although it tends to be an unfortunate um, kind of reality that we see is organizations when they have learning opportunities, meetings of any kind, usually have different parts of the proverbial pyramid kind of segmented out. So contributors yeah. only in a development opportunity with other contributors, executives only in a room with other executives, and yeah. they dare not sully them by placing them in a room with contributors that might have different learning needs. Yeah. And and I I couldn't agree more with um, uh, your I'll call it disappointment for a lack of better word but it sounded that way I participated in, um, I went to an innovation conference in uh, in London a couple of years ago that had a lot of the chief innovation officers of large organizations in in the UK and in Asia and uh, uh, the message was the same and was great because I was the only psychologist in the room um, yet every um, every business person talked about uh, uh, psychology Ecology, but um, the message that came uh, out from every speaker was that the biggest challenge in innovation in their organization, they were all large, was to get the poker player uh, to uh, talk to the chess player or vice versa, to get the chess player to talk to the poker player. And, you know, knowing that uh, organizations are being run by um, chess players and that people who innovate are typically poker players. Um, I thought, I just love that quote and, and it's, uh, it's interesting how you see it happen uh, when you are exposed to those situations that most of the time poker players don't talk the same language as the uh, chess players and chess players can't uh, quite understand the other language. So do you find that in your own experience? Yeah, and when we talk about the way or many organizations have what internally, and now I guess it's on the radio, externally we call the, uh, the throwover model or the flick the switch model. That is, you have your group, I guess, poker players in, in your analogy, folks that are um, tweaking, innovating, making things happen, creating new solutions. And then you have a different set of people that are responsible for scaling those new solutions within the system or organization. And so they kind of throw it over the fence. Here, the solution's done. Now you take it and make meaning out of it. And, of course, the organizations 
um, that tend to be more successful in both creating new solutions and scaling those solutions across an organization are, are the ones that have a split focus from the very beginning. So have those stakeholders who are responsible for doing more of the scaling work have their voices contributed um, from the very beginning and, and similarly have the solutions folks part of the journey throughout scaling in the organization so they can contribute to evolve the solution as it touches different parts of the organization. Yeah, absolutely right. And and you know, if I can have a if I could have a penny for every um, innovator who said I am not doing a PowerPoint presentation because this is not about PowerPoint. Uh, I'd be rich because it, it, it's totally a different language. Um, and uh, I'm looking here at the time and thinking this can't be happening. It's running very fast. Do you find differences between different industries, Andrew? Like, are there certain challenges more typical or um, certain size of organizations more likely to engage your services? Oh, there, there are uh, countless factors, as you can imagine. Some, some industries are really protected by industry. Um, that is, uh, maybe if you work for the government or um, in a, a resource-rich kind of environment, um, that y- you might be kind of protected, whereas other organizations that innovate or change less might be more at risk. And uh, so it really... Uh, depends, I, I guess, pretty heavily on the, yeah, the industry that you're coming from does, of course, though, have an impact on what your change or innovation needs are. Some need to recreate and redefine the organization. Some are, are just looking down at the product solution um, kind of end of the continuum that they need to, to work on and everywhere in between. Yeah. And just to wrap it up, because I had a great time and I knew this is going to go quickly, what would be one, two words from you uh, for organizations who might be ready to take on um, and work with a partner like you? When would they be most benefiting from an exercise like your simulations? So I guess that requires some degree of commitment, that is, degree of commitment to approach work differently. And at first, it might be challenging, we might make mistakes, and we have to be willing to learn from new experiences and to take those first steps and plunge into new experiences. Okay. Andrew, you've been great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I have a feeling that I'm going to call you back on the show, but best of luck with the organization. We'll stay in touch. And thank you again for being a part of this show. Uh, you've been great. Have a great right, week. Thank and you for having me. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.